If you have your Bible with, with you, would you please turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And I'll be reading out a New King James Version, and it's on page 162 in the pew Bibles in front of you. Now, O Israel, listen to the statues and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the lands which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It is good to have you. It encourages us that you're here. And we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. I'm thankful to be back after being gone a few weeks. No matter where I roam, there's no place like home. I'm thankful for you as a church family and that we get to serve God and worship God together and walk from here to heaven together. And let's take as many as we can with us. With that in mind, one of my favorite things about October is we are the Sermon Day. The fourth Sunday of this month, October 27th, will be We Are the Sermon Day. In your Bible classes this morning, your class coordinator will be talking with you and you will begin the process of deciding what project or projects that you'll do uh, on that last Sunday, on that afternoon. And remember, it's the idea of serving the community. This particular day is not about serving us. Far too often when churches say, oh, we're all about service, what they really mean is serve us. Uh, It's good to do good and to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. But we want to do the first part of that verse on that Sunday and hopefully throughout our life. We want to do good to all men. You see, we as a church family ought to be the best neighbor to anybody in this neighborhood. There's something wrong if somebody else is a better neighbor than the Lord's church to the Mount Juliet community. And throughout the years, we've had some wonderful days and there have been so many good things to come out of this. And we want to remind you that this isn't about us being some kind of civic group that is just out to do community service. This is about letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. So I want to encourage you as individuals and as classes to be praying about this and be praying that we can do things out in the community at the last part of this month that will touch the community in a powerful way to see God. That's the whole emphasis is let's show people the love of God. How wonderful it would be for us to go out by the hundreds to spend all afternoon in service to others and giving God the glory for it. I look forward to that. You'll be talking about that more in Bible class. And let's all be involved on that grand day of this great work. 1973, there was a very unusual situation that has been spoken of almost daily ever since. It was in Stockholm, Sweden. There was a bank robbery. And during that bank robbery, they took hostages and they took the hostages into a vault. And that's an actual photograph where the officers were able to put a camera through the roof and take a picture. And what happened is they kept the hostages for six long days. And to the surprise of the criminologists that were working along with the police, something strange happened. 
you see the hostages began to be sympathetic toward the robbers. As a matter of fact, along the way, they had a communication with one of the hostages. And one of the hostages said that she was very disappointed in the police and went on to say this. I think this is a hostage speaking to the police. I think you're sitting there playing checkers with our lives. I fully trust Clark and the robber. I'm not desperate. They haven't done a thing to us. They've been held hostage for six days in a vault. They've not done a thing to us. On the contrary, they've been very nice. But you know, what I'm scared of is that the police will attack and cause us to die. And since that time, there has been a description of that kind of behavior known as the Stockholm Syndrome. When individuals really believe that they are better off with their captors, when life is better with them than without them. And perhaps we look at that and say, I don't see how that could ever happen. This morning, I would like for you to realize that that probably happens all around us on a daily basis and hopefully not in our life, but definitely it could be in our life. There is one that wants to take us and hold us not only in captivity on this earth, but he wants to hold us in captivity for an eternity. And it's amazing how many people will think about instead being free, being liberated from that bondage. And they will convince themselves that their life is better under the captivity of sin than it is to be in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Upon writing this lesson, I want to read to you just a little couple of sentences that are like a thesis statement, if you will, to this lesson. God's wisdom and knowledge is far superior to ours, which makes the Bible an amazing and necessary gift to mankind. Without God's holy word, we would not only do harmful things, we would also neglect the good things. We would literally become sympathizers of evil. I want you to dwell on that for a moment. You'd say, oh, trust me, I would never become a sympathizer of evil. Oh yes, anyone who does not listen, learn, love, and trust the Word of God will become a sympathizer of evil. And if that challenges you, that's good that it challenges you. I urge you to take that home with you. I urge you to study scripture after scripture, example after example. And what we learn is that when we learn God's holy word and we trust him and obey him, we are free and we are faithful. And when we won't learn it, or we won't trust him, which means we won't obey him, we end up always sympathizing with evil. You know, one of the great physical examples that God chose to use over and over as a spiritual example also, because there was so much spiritual involved in this physical circumstance, is a wonderful example for us today. And so what I'd like to do is to spend much of our time over the next few minutes reminding you 
of how the Israelites sympathized with their captors. And then in just about the last four or five minutes of this lesson, I want us to turn over and to see two New Testament passages. One that points out the fact that they sympathized and the other one asks you and I what we will do. Will we return back and sympathize or will we remain free? Where could we begin? The Egyptians have been enslaved had enslaved the Israelites for about 400 years. Especially towards the end of their slavery, it wasn't good. A Pharaoh rose into position that was afraid of the Israelites and so he wanted to weaken them. So he literally got his taskmasters together and he told them to make them serve with rigor. The Hebrew word there is to break is, that's what rigor means. So in other words, I want you to work them so hard that they become weaker people. In other words, kill some of them. Break some of them down. Just make sure they don't remain strong. Can you imagine how horrible it would have been to have been an Israelite slave at that particular time? Can you imagine how great it would have been for Moses and Aaron to come in and speak on behalf of God and offer freedom? You would think that would be the best news that the Israelites would never fail to appreciate. You probably know the rest of that story. If not, you're going to see it in just a few moments. They forgot it almost on a consistent basis. I just want you and I to remember when we are free from sin, who we have escaped what we have escaped and how wonderful it is to be walking with the Lord and to trust Him and to obey Him and yet how easily we like the Israelites forget how blessed we are. So they've been led out. You remember that Moses and Aaron worked miracles and proved that they were bringing a voice from God, a word from God. And then you remember Pharaoh still didn't believe so there were 10 plagues. Listen, nobody but God could bring these 10 plagues. Pharaoh was convinced and finally he said, go, take your people. And so now finally the Israelites are free and they're on their way and they've come up to the edge of the Red Sea. And yes, it would have been a difficult situation, but notice what happens. And I'd like for you to read in Exodus the 14th chapter, Exodus the 14th chapter, it's page 63 in the Bible that's in your pews. If you wanna read along together there, Exodus 14, and we're gonna begin reading at verse 10. They're on the edge, they're facing a sea. And notice, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, think about if we're going to live by sight or if we're going to live by faith. They lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, now, what I just read, you'd say, well, that's good. They cried out to the Lord. That's what they needed to do. But notice what they cried out. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have, notice this sympathy, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Listen, we're in a stressful situation right now. 
The easiest thing for me to do is in my mind escape. Look, sometimes when we're out here as Christians and we're serving God, we can find ourselves in difficult and stressful situations. And at that time, the easiest thing for us to do is escape and think, well, back when I was living in the world, I didn't have to worry about that. Back when I was doing things my way, I could take care of it. The things I can see make so much more sense than the things I can't see by faith. I want you to notice in all of these passages we're going to read, the emphasis continues to be based upon, do you trust God? Do you obey his commandments? Do you trust God? Do you obey his commandments? And so notice this answer here in 13, as Moses pleads for them to trust God. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You see, he's talking about something that's in future tense, but Moses trusts God so much, he speaks of it as if it's already happened. He said, listen, you're gonna see God deliver us. Keep in mind, Pharaoh and his men are coming. There's water in front of us. You just wait. They couldn't see that because they only lived by what they could see with their eyes at this point. And Moses was living by faith. And he continues to plead with them which he, talking about God, will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And you remember that as they neared, God parted the Red Sea, the walls of water on each side. They passed across. And as they passed into safety, the Egyptians were in the waters and God allowed the walls to close and to take their lives. They saw the Egyptians no more. You'd say, well, after 10 plagues and a deliverance like that, they surely trusted God. They surely believed in his salvation. They surely obeyed him. Just turn a page in your Bible to Exodus, the 16th chapter. We're not any more than a month into the journey at this point. And in verse two, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained. I want you to note that the children of Israel had a problem with continual complaining, but complaining comes from a lack of gratitude. A lack of gratitude comes from a lack of trust. They didn't trust God. They weren't grateful to God. And so the result is they continually complain. Listen, in your life, if there is continual complaining, you need to stop and ask yourself, not, not what is so wrong at work? What is so wrong in my family? What is so wrong in my life? You might need to stop and ask yourself, what's so wrong with your faith? If your lips are continually complaining, I would suggest to you that it probably can be trailed back all the way to a lack of faith. When we trust God, we are grateful to God because we know that he can handle anything and no one in deep gratitude continues to complain. They still didn't trust God at this point. And so in verse two, they complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, now think about the Stockholm syndrome here. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat. Now, do you think as slaves, they really did this? They, we sat by the pots of meat. And when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I'm not suggesting to you that the Egyptians didn't feed them. 
But I am suggesting to you, it probably wasn't as good as what they were remembering at this point. And so their idea is we would rather be back into that slavery where we had this routine and we knew when we were going to get fed and we knew how much they were going to give us. Out here we're in the wilderness and we have to, we have to what? Well, you know, we have to depend on God. Oh, your problem is you don't trust God. Over here, we could depend on Pharaoh. He was the best slave master you could have. Why, he had his people to, to rip our backs open. He tried to break us down. But you know, just at the right time, he would bring us some meal. You talk about Stockholm Syndrome. That is it through and through if you read and do some research on it. It is amazing how they are infested with it. Oh, no, no, we don't, we don't trust God to take care of us. But we sure do wish we were back with Pharaoh. And so Moses answers and he says, with the Lord giving him guidance in verse four, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota. Now I want you to notice that a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my way or not. And if we had time to read the rest of this chapter, what we would see is that the test is God is wanting to say, listen, I've been planning to provide for you all along. He's already provided for them for 30 days. It's not like they went hungry for these 30 days. And he says, sure, I'm going to continue to provide for you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide for you day by day. Well, God, I, I tell you, I would feel a lot better about it if you would let me stock my pantry so that I have enough food to know that at least if you failed us, God, I could at least eat for another month. Is that okay with you, God? I, I, don't, I don't like this day-to-day -day thing. In Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, he makes it very clear. I'm only giving you day-to-day because I want you to know it wasn't the bread that kept you alive. It was me. It was the word that proceeds out of my mouth that kept you alive. It was all about trust. And you know, they still didn't do a good job. He told them you can go out and you can collect just enough for one day. Don't collect more than that. Later on in verse 20, they collected more and it turned, worms came in it and it stank, made Moses so mad. He also told them that they couldn't collect on the seventh day. On the sixth day, they could gather just enough for two days. And some of them went out on the seventh day and started collecting. What were they doing? God was saying, do you trust me? If you trust me, do what? Obey me. Why don't you trust me? Why don't you think that I can provide for you better than Pharaoh can provide for you? Let's continue. Flip over a few more pages in your Bible to Exodus, the 32nd chapter. As you're turning, you're going to pass Exodus, the 20th chapter, where God spoke the Ten Commandments. And you remember that the first of the Ten Commandments is have no other God before you. And the second of the Ten Commandments is not to have any graven images before and yet, whenever he goes up, Moses, for 40 days on the mountain, the people get restless because their leader is gone. Now, I do believe that everybody has a hole in their heart, the shape of God. And what I mean by that is the very fact that everybody's going to search for something or someone to direct their life. And so Moses, that was speaking on behalf of God, was gone. 
And so they began to be restless. They want some kind of power in their life may have been what led them in the 32nd chapter. In the middle of that verse, it says that the people gathered together to Aaron. Now, some translations seem to point that they began to really pressure Aaron, but whether they did or didn't, Aaron caved. And notice what they said at the end of verse one in Exodus 32. Come, make us gods that we shall go before us. For as for this, Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so Aaron falls for this, which really is hard, I think, for a lot of us to understand or to believe, but it does show us that no one is above temptation. It does show us that when we are in the minority and you have an entire nation, that it's a nation against one person, could have been several million people. But nevertheless, he shouldn't have done what he did, but he had them all to turn in their gold, gold earrings, and if there were several million like they expected, listen, this calf wouldn't have had to be some little bitty calf if everybody contributed their gold. It literally could have been a solid gold calf that would have been of quite some size. The Bible doesn't give us any idea of what the size is. It really doesn't matter. What matters is in three and four, he fashioned it in verse four with an engraving tool and he made a molded calf. <clears throat> and then he actually said to them, this is your God. Now imagine this. Oh, Israel that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, many scholars, some try to justify why he would say that. Well, he was just pretending that this was an emblem of the almighty God and all that. That doesn't work. He was wrong. He was as wrong as wrong could be. God looks off the mountain. He's talking with Moses. He looks off the mountain. And now he's also, Aaron has built an altar, which does make it like what they would have done in worshiping the almighty God. And then they rose to play, which makes you think that there was sexual immorality probably associated with this, which was very common in idolatry worship. And then God sends in verse seven, the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people. Notice how now God has given these people to Moses, which is interesting in Exodus 32 and 33, how Moses keeps saying, no, they're your people. And God keeps saying, no, they're your people. And so he says, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have, now what knows what they did? They corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly, what? out of the way which I commanded them. Listen, if we're going to do a basic study as we're doing today of this idea of, of a Stockholm syndrome spiritually, we're never going to get away from trusting God and obeying his commandments. They would not obey his commandments. And the result, they even said at the end of verse eight, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in verse nine, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff necked people. One more time, if you will, Deuteronomy. And by the way, this is what we're going to study, the book that we're going to study tonight, the, the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, now the children of Israel have wandered for 40 years because of their lack of faith. And, and they, the ones that are older than fighting age, they have deceased out in the wilderness. And now they're coming over to the river, ready to pass over and possess Canaan's land the younger generation, after 40 years, and after all the, the, their, their uh, generations above them have died. The only ones alive are Joshua and Caleb, 
And at this point, we still have Aaron and Moses, but Moses is going to pass away also. Now, what's going to happen here? What we're going to be studying tonight is Moses' plea for them to trust God and obey his word. And I, I just want you to see Deuteronomy is absolutely beautiful. If you haven't fallen in love with the book of Deuteronomy, you probably just haven't read it enough. It is an amazing, beautiful study of a relationship with God as an older man is pleading for a nation to trust God. Don't turn your back on Him. Be faithful to Him. And so he speaks, though, in the first few chapters of that old generation that did not trust, and they lost their faith. And I want to read just a few verses here in the first chapter. Look, if you will, in verse 26. He's talking about that first generation that didn't trust and why it happened. Remember, they sent the spies out, and when they came back, they believed the, the negative, the wicked report that the, the cities were too fortified, the, the enemy was, they were giants, they were too large to defeat. Nevertheless, verse 26, nevertheless, you would not go up. In other words, God told you to go up. You wouldn't but rebelled against what? The commandment of the Lord your God. And you what? Complained in your tent. See, when we don't trust God, we're not grateful and we complain because the Lord hates us. Can you imagine that? How much God loves them. They're a chosen generation, a chosen nation. God loved them dearly. And they said, oh, he hates us. He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us in the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Skip down to 29 and notice how the answer is. Moses said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did to you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son and all the way that you went up until you came to this place. Now pause there for a moment. You're going to really say that God hates you? Yeah, your life was so much better with that Pharaoh that just loved you up like little children. Pharaoh didn't fight for your goodness. I'll fight for your goodness. I'll give you a land. I'll bless your people. He's the one that hated you. I loved you. And when you get to the point that you can't handle it, I'll pick you up like a father does his child and I'll carry you through the parts that you can't walk on your own. Why would you not choose God? I'd like for you to look at verse 32. And if you've been in our Bible classes on Sunday morning and this study is really rich, it's a blessing. And if you haven't found a class, please go to one in just a few minutes when this is over. But, but this has been emphasized over and over in class. Notice what Moses says to the people. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God. Why didn't they possess the land? Please get this. This will probably be the most important point that we'll make this morning out of God's Word. Why didn't they possess the land? It comes down to this. Moses says, you chose not to believe. 
You think Moses and Aaron just showed up in Egypt one day out of coincidence? Or do you think the Almighty God sent them? Did you see the miracles they did? Was it because they were great magicians or was it because God was working through them? Did you see the 10 plagues? No man could ever do that. You saw God do that. You felt trapped and were very afraid. And Moses says, God's going to show you salvation and the waters parted and you saw God deliver you. You thought back to when you have all the bread you need for a day and God's been providing bread every day for 40 years. And if that's not enough, he has the quails to come in in the evening and you get all the meat you want every day except for the Sabbath. And you can collect on the sixth day all you need for that. He has shown himself over and over. And now you're on the edge, first generation, and you send out the spies. And he's told you he's going to give you the land. Who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the wicked report of 10 men? Are you going to choose to have faith in God? Brethren, that is no different today. God has given us all the evidence of His power. He has given us a holy word that describes more than what most of us will be able to even comprehend if we study it diligently for a lifetime. And He leaves us with the same decision. Are you going to choose Him? Are you going to choose to have faith in Him? Are you not? They died out in the wilderness and Moses clearly said, why? You chose not to believe in God. In our mailbox series, we're at Hebrews the third chapter. I want to read that and then we close with 1 Peter. Look at Hebrews the third chapter. This very study that we've just done this morning, that is the study of the land of rest in Hebrews the third chapter. And I'd like for you to notice how the third chapter ends. Now, the, the conversation doesn't end there. The Hebrew writer goes into the fourth chapter about the very same thing. But I just want you to notice the emphasis again. Now, a few thousand years later almost, uh, this is written about again. And I want to pick up in verse 17. Now, this is Hebrews 3. Now with whom he was angry 40 years. That was God because of their lack of faith. He put them in the wilderness 40 years. Was it not with those who sinned whose corpse fell in the wilderness? In other words, why they die in the wilderness? It's because of their sin. He, he elaborates. And to whom he did, he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. How serious is it to say, God, I know what you're commanding me to do, but I'm not going to do it right now. I want to sympathize with Satan. I trust what he says to me over what you, you ask of me. I love him more than I love you right now. Unbelief kept them out of the physical home of rest on this earth. Unbelief keeps us out of the spiritual home of rest within Jesus Christ.
And so we close and we can't elaborate on it. And I'm sorry about that. But Second Peter, the first chapter, I'd like for you to scan a few things. And, and the lesson's yours. Second Peter, the first chapter, look at verse 2. If you want grace and peace, it's only coming by knowledge. We have to learn about Christ. Verse 3, it's His divine power. Human power did not give us the Word of God. It's inspired. And it gives us all things, verse 3, that pertains to life and to godliness. At the end of verse 4, if we obeyed that, we could have a divine nature instead of a corruption. Now notice, we can, look at the end of verse 4, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Think of the Stockholm Syndrome. We have obeyed the Lord and we've been free from our captor. Who would go back? Who would sympathize? In the second chapter, there are people that start telling us lies, false teachers. In the second chapter in verse 10, they are presumptuous and self-willed. The second chapter in verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and they have gone astray. Now notice if you will, verse 19. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Hey, come over here with us. We are really free. That's a lie. They are the ones that are slaves. Those that have escaped the corruption, we are free. But Satan is always telling us how better life is over in his corruption. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollution of the world. See that we've been free from that hostage taker. How do we become free? The knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled therein and overcome. In other words, they went back. The latter end is worse for them for the, than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of the righteous than having known it to turn from what? The holy commandments delivered to them, but it's happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallering in the mire. Who would go back? God says, if you're thinking clearly, the same person that likes to see a dog vomit and eat its own vomit, if you're thinking clearly, that's who goes back. But see, Satan doesn't show it to us like that. Satan says, look how free you are. And we literally walk back in to the bondage. What I learned today, number one, do I trust God or Satan? Number two, if I don't obey God in all things, I trust Satan. Number three, many choose what they can see instead of choosing faith in the one who is almighty. Number four, choose to have faith in God. This morning, I hope that you and I trust God. And if we say we trust God, it must come down to an obedience to God's holy inspired word. This book, if we do not love it and learn it and live by it, we will become sympathizers of evil. No way around it. We will. We will honestly begin to think that that way is better. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ this 